Hello and welcome to Seeking Health Podcast with Angeska Meyer and Josiah Meyer. <laughs> I've never said this before. <laughs> I'm a co-host now, officially. <laughs> no, you're, you're ready the for host some wild times. You're the host and I'm the co-host this time. Oh, I'm wearing the pen. <laughs> you, you are wearing the pen. Actually, I'm wearing my that? abomination. <laughs> You know, that ended up in the version that didn't. You needed to explain what you mean by that. Yes. So apparently, on a Facebook post that just I had made, and we had this conversation about modesty. 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 And someone said that a pastor at his church had said that yoga pants were an abomination to the Lord. So women shouldn't wear <laughs> yoga pants. So now every time I wear yoga pants, I'm like, woohoo, I'm an abomination. <laughs> So yes, I'm wearing my pants. I'm wearing the pants and I'm an abomination. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> In more serious matters, we need to talk about domestic abuse because we've really, our hearts has really opened up to domestic abuse mm-hmm. this year. Um, and there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. And the reason is your childhood. Yeah. Your... I am a survivor You're of a survivor. domestic abuse. Yes, you are. And that's yeah. huge that you can say that. And it has been a hell of a ride to get here to where you can talk about it um, to some extent. And someday, I have no doubt you'll write a book about this. It'll be one of those best-selling memoirs. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really glad that you can talk about it because it will help others. And it's an important subject. And one that is not talked near enough, especially in religious circles. Yeah. That's where it gets tend to be hidden Mm -hmm. (laughs) or not talked about. So let's talk about domestic abuse. And thank you for coming on my show. I mean, (laughs) our show. Um, I noticed there was kind of this slow takeover, hey? Like, I had you I on, and then as a co-host, and now you just took over. You just intrigued This is me. what happens with women <laughs> when you unleash We're them. just so good. <laughs> we haven't been in leadership in so long as women that now, like, give us a bit and we'll show you what we can do. <laughs> and it's awesome. I love it. Untamed. That's Untamed. a very popular book called like that. <laughs> anyway... What I know you've been wanting to do a podcast on this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so and this is my idea, by the way. I'm I, just pretending it's mine. <laughs> I handed you the sheet <laughs> that I prepared. I'm just pretending it's fine. Shh. <laughs> I'm taking over with you being my assistant. Wow. <laughs> We do things together. We do. It's you're great at writing yeah. out notes. I'll, I'm great at talking. Yeah. <laughs> so why would you like to do this podcast? Because um, this is not going to be a fun podcast. No. And this is going to give you a migraine. Yeah. And this is going to cause you to have to sleep for many hours mm-hmm. to recover because talking about it is a trigger. And I had a day off tomorrow, and it's probably going to be scrapped. I'm probably going to be in bed. Yeah. Yeah, um, you probably will be. Yeah. And I don't... There might be other ramifications. I don't know. Um, 
exactly what will happen from this. But that's part of the domestic abuse. It is, is being nervous about what the cost is going to be. Yeah. But it's time to speak my truth. It's your truth. I'm, it's your truth. I'm almost 37, and um, this month, woohoo! Yeah. This this is a. I mean, obviously, it touches on the lives of other members of my family. It touches on the lives of my parents. Um, but this is also my story. Yeah. And it's a big virtue in Christianity not to gossip, but that also tends to be taught that you also don't talk about anything negative that yeah. might reflect on others. And what that means is that people who survive bad things are made to feel like they can never talk about it. Yeah. And the hard things in our life define us more than the good things. Yeah. Like this is hugely formative. This is who I am. Yeah. Who, or, no, it's not who I am because I've overcome it. But, or I have... It's part of your story. It's a big part of my story. And if you never talk about it, and if you sweep it on the carpet, then you're not letting part of yourself live. Yeah. And I also want to help others. I know that, I mean, I have you to support me, and you have just been amazing. And I just wanted to thank you again for how much you support me. Even today, I had another trigger, and I was in bed for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's remarkable how much I can sleep when I get triggered. I think that it'll mess up my night's sleep, and it never does. No. I can sleep for three or four hours in the day, and I still have my... We all deal with trauma differently in triggers, and yours yeah. is migraine and sleep yeah and that's, that's I just appreciate your your support but I know not everybody has that and I want to be a voice that says look these things are not okay when they happen and even if you know you're a person that has things together they can still cripple you they can still take you out um, and we need to speak out about these things yeah so that's why I want to talk about it. Good. Very good. I'm glad you're wanting to do that. We're talking about domestic abuse, but abuse is a really big word, and sometimes it's overused. Yeah. But sometimes it's underused. Yes. <laughs> That's well put. <laughs> yeah. um, what do you think most people think of when they hear the word abuse? Yeah. We have a perception of it. We have a perception of a it. A perception of yeah. abuse is like growing up in an alcoholic home. Yeah. Um, like I think, I think the average person that thinks of domestic abuse, they're thinking of, you know, a hillbilly on a TV show that's wearing, you know, an undershirt. Unfortunately, sometimes we call them wife beater shirts. Um, it fits that context. It fits that context, right? That's why we have stereotypes. And maybe he's got sweat, you know, or like beer stains on his shirt and he's out there in the yard and, you know, there's chickens running everywhere. Like that's kind of the image we have. And there's certainly alcoholism and stuff like that. That's the image we have of domestic abuse. It's like if I saw a domestic abuser, I would know it, right? Yeah. And and maybe he would like yell at his kid in front of me and you know everybody would cower in the corner and right don't talk and, <laughs> and that's like maybe that exists somewhere but 
it can also look very different. Yeah. It can also be that perfect couple sitting in church where everybody's sitting in a row and um, nobody's moving and, you know, they're, they're doing all the church things or they're showing up to the events, they're leaders and pillars in your church, um, their kids all magically behave, especially when they're young. Um, it, it can also be the person behind the pulpit. Um, it can also be the person that is outgoing and seems like a genuinely nice guy. Mm-hmm. It can be the person that you see walking down the street holding his wife's hands. Um, that she might be terrified of him later that night. Yeah. Um, it might be the, the dad that's out there playing with his kids and having so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, in the way that you wish your parents perhaps would take time to play with you. And it might be the person that genuinely like some parts of their childhood might actually be really great but all these things can mask um, the terrible reality that if things go off the rails they go really off the rails yeah and if the kids disobey or if if dad gets in a bad mood things can get dangerous Mm -hmm. and it can be terrifying and that's what domestic abuse is and the other aspect of that is well we'll talk about it I think later on um, that that there's just not freedom Mm -hmm. because the control is so extreme and um, there's a reason why they're all sitting so quietly in church yeah and and that reason is not what you think it's not it's not that they're just naturally good people or perfect children. It's that if they don't sit quietly at church, they will be beaten later. Yeah. Very strong punishments. Or strong yeah. punishment. Or, and sometimes the other psychological torment, the other psychological punishments can be even worse than physical. Yeah. Yeah. And those are hidden. Mm-hmm. Public. And so that is another reason why I want to talk about this because... We have this perception that is not necessarily accurate. Yeah, it's so true. Mm-hmm. And it makes people in those situations dismiss their abuse, the abuse yeah. that they receive. It makes them dismiss it because, well, it could be worse, or, well, it's not like mm-hmm. this perception I have, or it's not. And everybody that leaves an abuser, like, um, like every woman that leaves an abusive man especially, one of the things they struggle with is there were good times. And that is always the hardest thing. Well, I don't know if it's always the It's one of the things that, that can just be so difficult is to say, well, there were good times. Mm-hmm. And there were definitely good times. In fact, they were the majority was the good times. But the bad times were so bad that those are the things that, that as an adult 25 years later, still take me out for four hours in an afternoon yeah um that's part of the legacy of being raised in domestic abuse yeah in your experience what does domestic abuse look like um so i do want to say just as far as the definition of domestic abuse like it is a little bit of a slippery term and it is a little bit subjective so um, 
You need to trust your gut in there. But you do need, yeah, you need to trust your gut. And I have had multiple um, counselors and professionals tell me this was abuse. Yeah. Um, it's not just you calling it it's out. It's not just me. Which would be okay, too. Yeah, it would be, yeah, for sure. But it was also confirmed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, something that we've talked about and, and we'll probably talk about it more between the two of us is narcissism I have some kind of lecture style podcasts on that earlier and you can go listen to those but a narcissist is somebody that um, something didn't happen in their developmental stage uh, and this is why narcissism can run in families because if you didn't get that if a person didn't get that love that they needed at a crucial time and there does seem to be a genetic component to it as well. It's not completely understood how narcissism happens. But people get locked in this childlike state, not child in a good sense, but in a child in the sense of, you know, a toddler is basically very selfish. And basically they will do anything, you know, when they have a temper tantrum, it is the end of the world for them. And they will do anything in their power to get what they want. And sometimes they can be kind and cheerful, but it's when they're getting what they want. And usually children grow and develop to where they can do something genuinely self-sacrificial. But a young child typically won't do that. Typically, they'll be kind when things are going their way. Um, but a narcissist won't grow past that stage. And and you'll have somebody that is 25 or 30 or 40 or 50 and still okay you can have good times with a narcissist but only when things are going their way and they can throw temper tantrums that will absolutely shake the pillars of the earth <laughs> like because they have all the emotional maturity of a toddler but they have the physical strength of a grown-up yeah. and so you can have um i've got a podcast on the um what is it called the overt narcissist and then the covert narcissist because you can have somebody that's overtly narcissistic where <clears throat> they're they're very grandiose and showy and they want to project this image but then when they get angry and throw the temper tantrums then they're terrifying and that was my dad that is my dad uh, or else you can have a covert narcissist who does the same things but in very sneaky ways mm -hmm. and unfortunately this doesn't happen very often but um, that is a lot like what my mom was like so I kind of had it it was a very chaotic situation yeah. um, and it was hard to know what the rules were <clears throat> because the rule the real rule was um, never make them mad that was the rule. Always make them look good. Um, and um, you just had to be very, very careful. Because the consequences of not being careful and not paying attention were very, very high. It often seems like with narcissists, families with, there'll be a narcissist and then there'll be the codependent yeah and that was more my experience in my family mm -hmm. 
Um, that is the typical pattern. Yeah, like my dad's narcissist, my mom's codependent, um, and enabling. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had covert and overt. Yeah. Both in your mom and dad. Like, that is just a bad mix. <laughs> really bad mix. Yeah. Um, and it, it causes a lot of unspoken rules. Yes. And also probably they must have changed often. Like, because it depended who at the moment was probably angrier yeah and was leading the family (laughs) yeah um anger was power mm. so the person that was that was currently angry that's where the power shifted and then the other person went into appeasement mode well the rest of the family went into appeasement mode or get out of the way mode and so it was very things would completely change and then because narcissists have such a need to be venerated and um, like to have a public perception, depending on who was over, who was in the house, the, the rules would completely change again. Right. And so, and, and the consequences for all these changes were very high. Mm-hmm. You know, like you could lose your favorite toy. You could, you know, have a strong discipline later. You could... But but actually, some of the highest, like you could lose status, and, yeah. and like the the narcissistic family, it's organized as far as like, like if you're if you disappoint your parents, well now you've moved down a notch, and you feel it, and there's all these little ways that you feel it, mm-hmm. and they will often have a golden child that's on the top and a scapegoat that's on the bottom, and. And you feel that when, when you've moved down a step. And so it, it, it would make me, especially as a sensitive child, just hyperactive to try and um, keep their approval. Yeah. Because I could lose it at any time. And it was so important for me to feel loved and feel accepted because that was something that was, you know, a parent normal like we, we robe our children in love and acceptance, I feel like. And I feel like it was dangled in front of me like a carrot. And and I was desperate for it. Yeah. And I, I, was, I was going to point out before you even said it that, like, you are a very sensitive child. Mm-hmm. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Actually, yeah. that's really has a lot of benefits to it. But through that, a sensitive child into a situation that is so volatile... And it means that you're on constant alert and you feel every little mood shift, every little glance that is wrong, every yeah. sigh that, it, that communicates volumes. You could pick up on all of that because of your highly sensitive personality yeah. person. Um, and that's just overload. Mm-hmm. And so your whole childhood was on overload, hyperdrive of yeah. sensitivity. Yeah. Um, and so like your brothers probably lived it, experienced it differently. Yeah. Um, but this is your story. Yeah. And this is who you were. And we have a child that's highly sensitive. Mm-hmm. And that comes into the equation when we deal with this child. Yeah. Um, because we're the parents. And we... Have taken the time to research what sh- what highly sensitive child means, yeah. and we take that into consideration in all our parenting decisions toward this child. 
mm-hmm. um, that was not your responsibility as a sensitive child yeah. to it was like it there was a parenting failure there yeah and so HSC highly sensitive child is that's a new thing uh, relatively new that people have discovered and, and learned about and basically what it is it's actually quite common a lot of the people that we thought were shy are actually highly sensitive and in a nutshell what that means is that some people just have a more reactive nervous system and that there's I don't know if it's their spine or their the spinal column or their nerves just it's more receptive to signals uh, one interesting thing about highly sensitive people is that they make great goalies and in in school growing up I was always the goalie and I was good and that's because um, there's a split-second delay like like my nervous system is just a little bit faster than most people so that's great if you're a goalie it's not great if there's a lot of noise if there's a lot of activity if there's a lot of rustling um, those things are just louder for me um, and so yeah a highly sensitive child can struggle in a normal classroom setting because while other kids are able to tune it out a highly sensitive child can't handle all the noise yeah. and they're not autistic they're not learning delayed it's just they can't handle the noise because everything is so loud so that is something that um, you know if you have a, a child with learning delays maybe they're highly sensitive and it's not a big deal it's just you know help them cope with the noise but for myself it absolutely amplified yeah. everything um, and you know it was something that my parents literally said my dad especially like why do you have to be so sensitive why do you have to be so sensitive so many times as though it was your problem as though it was my problem and that and is that a characteristic was... of abusers is to blame yeah. their behavior on others this is driving me crazy so deal with it like yeah change, change who you are so that you i'm not annoyed at you. yeah <laughs> like why can't you be like your brothers that you know deal with it in a different way but also like there's the perception and the reality and the perception was i was the good kid that was barely ever in trouble um because you could read all the because singles. i could read it <laughs> because um, yeah, I was a good kid that was barely ever in trouble and that was mostly happy and that would have said I was having a wonderful childhood. And that's, you know, partially that's because what I was told to say. Um, but also partially because I was in overdrive all the time mm-hmm. and I was reading signals and uh, I was putting tremendous amount of energy into making sure that nothing bad happened because yeah. I couldn't handle it if something really bad happened, if people got really, really mad, I just, I could not handle it. Whereas other, other people in the family had different coping strategies. I mean, they, they have their own journey with this, but it seemed like everything was fine. He's just a little bit shy. He's a little bit behind. He's, you know, doesn't have many friends, but you know, he's a good kid. He's nice. You know, the reality was, um, I was living through a war. Yeah. And I was using, I was tapping into a lot of, a lot of resources that had been built into my body to survive trauma, but it was costly. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas other kids were, were playing and, and doing fun things. There was so much of my resources that were put into 
trying to get through the next day without all hell breaking loose. Yeah. Um, and that that touches me to this day. Some of those things that needed to be put in place within me to to help that little boy cope are still affecting how I am today. Yeah, for sure. There's no way to live through domestic abuse without there being consequences as a result. Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question, you asked what it, what does it look like? Um, there was a lot of anger, a lot of manipulation. It was chaotic. Sometimes it felt dangerous. Um, absolute allegiance was demanded. Mm-hmm. You did not talk about this to anyone. Um, you, breaking a lot of rules. I know I am. <laughs> That's part of why I'm scared. Um, brave. Brave. Yeah, thank you. And it was all cloaked in religion. Yes, uh, it that's was huge. Huge. Which, in practical terms, meant that God was on their side. Yeah, they're the parents. Yeah, and <laughs> God had appointed them. So, you know, even if they can't see me, God can. Yeah, and children obey your parents. And mm-hmm. children, like, it, it, it's just, there's so much religion bible verses or religion expressions and christianese that mm-hmm. that can be used to control and manipulate and guilt and shame that was used in your home yeah. yeah yeah and that goes really deep when you're taught to respect god and when you're taught that you're going to go to hell if you don't live a good christian life and then so then it just adds a double edged sword to yeah. it all like it's like oh if I want to go to heaven if I don't want to be sent to the everlasting flames of hell then then I have to honor my parents and I have to obey my parents and I have to be under their authority and I have to <laughs> like it and I it's just that's just adding religious cloak, cloaking abuse in religion drives me nuts yeah like it's just so wrong because it gives it so much more power it does yeah and it was uh it was strange for me because in a sense um religion was extremely helpful to me right because I was so lonely yeah and one of the ways that I coped was I mean I would emotionally bond to just about anything um, and this is a sign of n- emotional neglect, is emotionally bonding to everything. So it, it, you know, sometimes children have a special blanket or a teddy bear, and that's not unusual to have a child or, a, you know, an imaginary friend or something. But like, I got married, and I literally brought my blanket into our marriage. And I was <laughs> like, I, I need this blanket. Like, that's weird, you know, to be emotionally attached. (laughs) It was so weird. (laughs) And I can talk about it now. I don't know what happened to the blanket. Did you burn it at some point? I do not know what happened to that blanket. (laughs) I mean, at some point you filled up, you, 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 well, at some point I got some healing. I doubt that I got rid of it. I think at some point I got rid of it. Yeah, because I don't think I would have, (laughs) because, you know, I didn't want to be divorced. (laughs) (laughs) 
It was a nice blanket. Okay? No, it was not. <laughs> it looked nice. <laughs> but you know, I had favorite teddy bears that, you know, and growing up, like beyond the age when a teddy bear should feel like it's alive, they felt alive, you know, and mm. and objects like I kind of hoarded things. Yeah, you had that, a lot of stuff. Like normal people would throw out, you know, and my dog was like literally like a living human being. Um, and he was, I said he was my best friend and it was accurate. I mean, I struggled to make relationship friends just because like I didn't know how to play like other kids because I was, well, that's actually, I never thought of that, but I didn't know how to play. Like I knew how to, when we got a little bit older and when friends started having relationship issues, then all of a sudden I had this superpower of being able to like counsel them because <laughs> now my my advice wasn't very good because it was basically like here's all the ways to appease people but <laughs> I felt like healthy. yeah it wasn't healthy but it's like that's that's what I knew how to do yeah was relationship stuff you know I knew all the wrong things but like I didn't know how to play I didn't know how to have fun um where's it going with this what were you gonna say but but um, that attachment to like teddy bears, blanket, uh, your dog, like that was to help you survive. Yeah. Um, when you don't get the love that you need, the emotional connection that you need with your parents, it has to come from somewhere yeah. because kids need that in their developmental. Yeah. Like they, they need that while they grow. Yeah. So that was just ways for you to survive. Yeah. Um, you've often mentioned different. Uh, like surrogate parents basically mm-hmm. that came to your life at different times um, that babysat you a lot or yeah. that invested in your life and that that was hugely helpful in yes. you surviving your childhood yeah yeah and that was really where and I don't know if anybody's listening but you know the, the people attending this church um, that we're not going to right now um, they were hugely helpful hugely helpful and like one summer both my parents were working and so they got um, somebody from our church to babysit us most of the summer and like I would just go into the home and just like something inside me would relax Hmm. for the first time like I could just I could feel there was peace I could and I would just like I was just happy like I would just go in there and be happy like I'm some of my best memories are just laying on the carpet like not doing anything but just like I feel safe here. Wow. I feel like I can relax. That's huge. Because, like, laying around at home, like, dad might come home and, like, oh, I work all hard all day and you're just lazing around, you know, and then you're in trouble for existing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, surrogate parents or, like, homes that were safe, you know, was amazing. Yeah. Um, at a very young age, I remember... Um, something that something that happens a lot in these situations is children blame themselves mm-hmm. um, it's an extremely common theme of abused children to blame themselves because you have two options if something really terrible happens you know instinctively that that shouldn't have happened you shouldn't have been beat to that level you shouldn't have been yelled at to that level you, your favorite toy shouldn't have been smashed in two instinctively you know that was off so either it's my fault or it's dad's fault. 
but as a young child you can't believe that it was dad's fault because that would mean that the whole world your whole world is going to come crashing down and if a child ever comes to you and says my dad is abusing me believe them because for them to get to that point that is a big step Mm -hmm. and most children what they do is they say it was my fault I'm sorry daddy I made you mad or else the dad says why did you make me so angry and then they internalize that so I walked around with so much shame Mm -hmm. really until this past year is when the shame broke Um, but Jesus was able to help me with my shame and um, at least well it, it you know, there was shame that wasn't legitimate, and then there was guilt that was legitimate. Mm. And I did feel at a young age that I had sin in me that I need, that I wanted to have dealt with, and I want forgiveness. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, although that was ramped up to such a level because of my parents. And I do remember asking Jesus to forgive me for my sins, and I do remember feeling a, a lot of peace from that. And I do remember... Like for a while, my parents forced us to read the Bible. And when I was 12, I asked my dad, waited until he was in the perfect mood and phrased it just perfectly. And I said, Dad, could I please read the Bible on my own and take care of it myself? Because up to that point, if, he didn't, if we didn't read the Bible, we'd get a spanking. Um, and it wasn't a little smack on the hand. It was taken over the knee and hit with an object. It was... A serious spanking for not reading the Bible. For not reading the Bible. Wow. So, you know, I asked if I could read it myself and have that autonomy, and be, and he said yes. Again, this was, you know, there's so much energy that went into because if you just ask them the wrong way, it's hell no, and then Dad has spoken and the answer is no, and then that's that's unchangeable, you know. So if you mess this up, it's it's no forever. Mm. Um, but he said yes, and then I had this amazing thing where I could disappear into the pages of scriptures, and there was a world of order, and there was a world where things made sense. And yes, God was tough. God got angry and, and disciplined sin, but he was also merciful, and his rules made sense. And there was forgiveness, and there was grace, and that to me as a young child became my safe haven and it became my escape but also religion was used to make this whole thing worse yeah and even the ways in which religion helped me you know it it taught me that the way to deal with abuse is to just be more patient and more kind and more sweet and that is exactly how victims stay trapped. Yeah. And it's what abusers groom their victims to do. Yeah. Is just, you know, be sweet. And when I apologize, forgive me and take me back and just let me do it all over again. Forgive me 70 times 7. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, and there's other ways as well. Um, the Bible supports spanking. Um Foolishness is bound up within the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Is a verse. Tramp a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll never depart from it. Yeah, and even you know the rod is made for the backs of fools, and 
Like there's a lot in the Bible about hitting people with sticks, <laughs> which made sense 4,000 years ago. Like I'm not saying it was healthy even then. But what I am saying is we have learned a lot about child psychology and development over the last 100 years. And we've learned that hitting kids with sticks is really, really, really bad for them. Mm-hmm. And even focusing on negative consequences instead of positive consequences. Um, like there is a time for boundaries. Kids need boundaries. They need to know what is right, what is wrong. That's, you know, and, and there likely is a time to cause a small amount of physical pain, you know, with a little smack on the hand or something like that. That is not abuse. But when you are taking an object and hitting them with it, especially repeatedly, and um, you're making a whole big deal of it, you know, and, and forcing them um, to say something, that is abuse. Yeah. Um, and there are verses that absolutely would seem to endorse it mm-hmm. and absolutely make people think that what they're doing is just fine. Um, the Bible talks about honoring your parents. Um, the next verse says, parents do not exasperate your children, do not lead them to anger. But That's the next verse after all. It's the next verse. Yeah. Never hear that you verse. You never hear that, no. Wow. And I, I don't think that, I think it's absolutely wrong if you ever say the word honor your parents, if you don't continue that verse and say, and parents do not lead your children to anger or do not exaggerate. pretty much every time you hear that verse spoken, children honor your parents is a way of controlling yeah. the children that are maybe even adults sometimes. Like, and the word honor is blown up like a balloon to mean everything. I mean, you know? basically obey and do everything they want. <laughs> and a narcissist requires that you treat them like a god they want you to worship them they want you to obey them they want you to tell them that they're good and care for their emotional needs and to do everything for them the world revolves around the world revolves around a narcissist and so for a narcissistic parent to read a verse like honor that is sufficiently vague to fill it up with whatever they want and it absolutely happens um Dad can never be wrong. Uh, that's something that came up uh, when we were talking about purity culture. But He's the head of the home. He's the head of the home. And he's right under God. In our family, because we were, we were in a, a tradition that was very independent, um, where it's just, you know, you read the Bible for yourself and come to your own conclusions for yourself. What that practically meant was that Dad felt like whatever he got out of scriptures was God's word. Right. And he took on this... No pastor, there's there's no, no... He didn't honor anybody as being between him and God. He didn't see himself as being under any authority. Not even any documentaries. No, or no really, documentaries docu- or concordances or... Yeah, just like no books that... No one that writes books to try and explain the yeah. Bible and where it comes from and the, the, the meaning behind it and the Greek. Like it... Yeah. No, none of them that mattered it, it was only what he decided was yeah. the way to interpret whatever from the bible <laughs> and he had some very minimalistic bible training which was basically like here's the strong's concordance uh the, the strong's concordance just gives you it's like a interlineal it's a very basic dictionary mm-hmm. uh it's 
It gives you less information than like an English dictionary would give you on English words. It gives you just very basic information about the Greek words, but it gives you enough that you feel like you can do a study and feel like you've, you've researched these terms. But like really, you don't know anything about the culture. You don't know yeah. anything about the context. You don't know anything about how the Greek language works. Because yeah. languages are complex. And uh, so that, that gives all sorts of room for people to see their own ideas reflected back at them. And then it becomes, so then it's not, if you disagree with that, it's not that just that you, you have a disagreement, you see things differently, it's you're disagreeing with God, and you're yeah. disagreeing with the Bible, and you're disagreeing with... So you're being forced to read your Bible from the age of eight, and mm -hmm. every year, through the entire Bible, yeah. in one year, every year, from the time you're eight years old, mm -hmm. but you can't come up with any of your own conclusions on right. what you're reading, reading, because mm -hmm. it has to be your dad, because your dad's never wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's like... Okay, that's spiritual abuse. Yeah. And there were definitely times later on in life as a young teenager where, I mean, I wanted to listen to Christian rock music. And for a while he thought that was wrong. And I was more interested, I was interested because Jesus had this relationship with him. And so I was getting more interested in kind of Pentecostal type interpretations of the Bible. And there was a book called, by Frank Peretti called This Present Darkness. And it spoke about having a personal relationship with God and angels and demons and spiritual warfare. And the book is a little bit off. There's problems with it. But at the time, it just spoke to me about, like, God is real. I can actually have a relationship with the living God. It's not just about words on a page. Um, but that was a book that was kind of, like, forbidden. And it, and it was like we were trying to have a discussion about it because Dad was trying to convince us that this was wrong. And I just started crying because it just meant so much to me. And so then I felt embarrassed and I wanted to leave. And it was like he was yelling at me to get back here and we need to discuss this and you can't just leave. And it was like, I need to agree from the heart that everything you're saying is true. And if he felt like I was not agreeing with him and he was like reading my mind and seeing some dissent in there, then that was seen as disobedience. Wow. That's not... That's not okay. No. Kids are allowed to not come up with the same conclusion as their parents. Yeah. Or other people in authority. Like, we're all humans with our own brains. Like, we're mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm really sorry. Hello, and welcome to see. Another component of religion that um, I've learned more about is this belief in original sin, that we're all sinners from the youngest age. And this is, I've since read Augustine who kind of came up with this. And he would, Augustine writes in one of his books about looking at an infant and seeing how an infant wants to nurse. And if another baby tries to nurse, then he'll like push it away or have a temper tantrum. And... Like, he's noticing the selfishness in infants. And then he basically says, look, even a little infant is a terrible sinner, because if you saw that in an adult, that would be sin. Um, which, I, I don't agree with that. I think that's just a natural development stage. Um, and it's necessary. If children mm -hmm. aren't bossy, then we wouldn't feed them <laughs> enough. You know, like, uh, so they tell us what, what they need so that they get it, because it's usually inconvenient. Well, it's uh, the only way they can communicate. Yeah. 
But this belief in original sin is very deeply ingrained in the West uh, because of Augustine. And it came to, you know, my parents through fundamentalism and through different beliefs. And the way that that came out was as young children, um, any time that we said no or disobeyed, that was seen as like rebellion and it needed to be squashed. Like not just discipline, but it was like squashed. Uh, and some of the stories that my dad has told me about, it, usually laughing, telling me about how he disciplined us as young children, as babies, basically. Um, you know, I laughed along and I thought they were funny until this year did more therapy and realized that is not okay. No. I never felt comfortable with those stories. No. Just always make you squirm, made me squirm and just like... Like one example is like one of my brothers was... Um, you know, at the table as a, as a baby, uh, was wiggling a lot. And dad felt like he had to fix this, that he sh our children should wiggle at the table. They should sit straight like, like adults, basically. And so what he did is he took two buckets and put them one on top of another and put the child on top of that. So then my brother wiggled and he fell off. So from a height of, like that's like two five-gallon buckets, like that's like two and a half feet off the ground. The child fell off and and I don't know like he probably didn't comfort him because then that was a punishment right so then he set the buckets up again put him back on well now the child is sitting straight so that child learns then that they need like like it's there's fear. there's fear there's fear and that that natural inquisitiveness about like reaching out to the world and being a bit creative and pushing boundaries that's just shut down yeah and obviously, I don't remember all those things, but that in some ways flowed out of his religious beliefs that people needed yeah. to obey. Yeah. And um, independence was a sin. You need, to, um, you need to obey the first time. You need to obey unquestioningly. And something else that was a big part of fundamentalism in the 80s and 90s and this coming back in a huge way right now and it drives me nuts is this this kind of conspiracy mindset that like we live in the end times and the end is coming and the whole world is corrupt and the antichrist is soon to be upon us and um this belief that like everybody is out to get us and like it wasn't that long since russia had become communist and these things literally were happening people were being persecuted for their beliefs and so there was that fear that the same thing would happen here but it kind of got blown out of proportion to the point where anybody seemed to be part of the enemy and especially it was specifically told it was specifically communicated I don't, I don't remember the specific words but I know that we were not supposed to tell our teachers um, that we got spanked we were supposed to take pride in that, but that's our little secret. You know, it makes us better people that we got spanked. And um, we were told that social workers were home wreckers, And if any social worker ever found out what happened in our home, they would destroy our home and they would take us away. And just bashing the child security. Right. Like it's just causing them so much fear that they're going to be like on the child that scared that they're going to be taken away into who knows what into a horrible home or something yeah and, like it's just not realistic yeah yeah 
and it like it was cutting off the, the escape routes and cutting yeah. off the resources and and then tying it to religion again yeah. because it's gossip like yeah. saying gossip is sin and if right. you tell anyone then it's going to be gossip like that's not that's using religion to back up your need for secrecy <laughs> yeah yeah And there was kind of a constant threat of disowning, which wasn't technically, I don't see where that is in the Bible, but it felt religious. Yeah. That, hey, if you don't do this, I'm, you're not going to have a father anymore. Yeah. And it was kind of implied, like you kind of always knew you could lose dad's favor, mom's favor, you could go down a peg. And you kind of had this sense, like if you go down enough pegs, like you're out. Yeah. But as an adult, it was explicitly told me. Yeah. In those in those words, words, many times you will lose. You will not have a father if you continue with this. And it was over. Or if your wife doesn't apologize right. for what she did to me that I decided is wrong, yeah. then you won't have a father anymore. Yeah, like that's because abusers don't and guilt. Abusers don't stop abusing because you don't turn eighteen. Oh no. They continue to try and have the same amount of control until you put up boundaries or until you just say it's enough. Yeah. And that. It, it that also was cloaked in religious language mm-hmm. um, and a religious sort of a mindset of yeah. you'll never have anybody but like me and I'm your spiritual head and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And when I tried to talk about these things with at least one mentor, he did bring that back to say you'll never ha- there is something special about your father and you do need to reconcile this because there's nobody else that can replace that. That's just horrible. That's wrong. He's saying like stay with your abuser. Yeah. It's one of the things I can't stand about yes. religion. Yeah, go back to your abuser and reconcile and and just be just love them more. Yeah, we talked about that in a podcast a yeah. couple of podcasts ago about the sermon that we heard and it was just like love, love them as Christ. Like and love that changes will, people. Love changes people. If you love them just like Christ loves them, then it'll change them. It's like no, no. that is not like no. We're all fallen, we're all sinners, and some relationships cannot be mended. Mm-hmm. And the way that you change bad behavior is you say, enough, I will not put up with this. Yes, boundaries. Either you change or I'm gone. Yeah. That's how you, and then. And follow through. And you follow through. Yeah. Either you change by this date in these ways, or else this relationship is over, or this relationship changes. Yeah. And then the person has a choice, and they either change their behavior or they lose you. Yeah. That's when people change. But just saying what you're doing is okay and I love you anyways is not, you don't change anything. What you're saying, doing is wrong even. Even saying what you're doing is wrong, but I'll, I love you anyway. That's not going to change That's worse. Like it. That's worse saying, yeah. Yeah. Um, like every, I mean, we're parents. Every parent loses it sometimes. I lose it sometimes. I yell. <laughs> I do too. Um, and then we regret it Mm -hmm. and we apologize or like we make it better we and it's okay like it's occasional it's not a norm Mm -hmm. it so every parent regret like loses it sometimes it regrets it but what are some of the characteristics in parenting of abuse Mm -hmm. because us losing it once in a while is not necessarily abuse yeah but what makes it become abuse? Yeah. And that's such an important question. And 
I just want to mention something here is that Christians are often so quick to say me too. Like I, I'm such a sinner too. Like I did it. Like you said, I yell and I said, yeah, I do too. You know, like we do that. We're, we're not like, we've been taught to be humble. We've been taught like you're a sinner. And, and so we do that. And so this has been something that has not been super helpful as I try and express to friends in my disjointed trying to work things out way that often my mentors come back with, yeah, I really blew, I really messed it up with my kids too. And there is a point, like everybody makes mistakes, everybody messes up, but there is a point when something is abuse. Yeah. And it's not helpful for you to say as a reasonably well-balanced person that's done a decent job, oh, I'm just as bad as your abuser. That's not a helpful thing to say. Mm-hmm. It might be a helpful thing for you to think if you want to, you know, question some of your parenting decisions that's fine do that on your own time but when a survivor comes to you and says actually i think i might have been a survivor of domestic abuse that's not the time to say oh i'm just as bad when clearly you weren't Mm -hmm. and here are some things um i've got five things here that that are different uh when when it's an abusive situation one is um, the message that is often stated is that if I get angry, it's your fault. Why do you make me so angry? Why did you make me do that? So a normal parent, like we all lose it sometimes. And then we get down on our child's level and we say, mommy is so sorry. You know, it's not about you. And, and that communicates to the child. And what happens, I've done some reading on this in, in the literature that memory goes away because the mind like you communicate to the inner child the the inner mind this is not significant this is an anomaly and your mind like it forgets anomalies because otherwise like you could not function like you can't remember everything you remember the things that are patterns Mm. and if something happens that's an anomaly and mommy gets down or daddy gets down and says i'm sorry i did that it won't happen again I mean, that's the other thing is it won't happen again, right? Like, like that parent is thinking to themselves, shoot, like I overdid it at work or I'm too stressed about this or I need to get off of Facebook or whatever. <laughs> um, and so they're making changes. So it's not a pattern, yeah. right? But so that's one thing is if the parent says, when I got angry, that was your fault. Mm-hmm. The other thing is whatever happens when they're angry is also your fault. And so they they literally will not accept blame for something that happened when they were angry. Like, um, especially if they're already angry and they've already communicated that. So, you know, why did you do that? You know, and, the, and dad is yelling. And if the child defiantly says, I was not wrong, dares to speak their truth, then that's going to ratchet down up to the next level. Whatever happens next is on the child in an abusive relationship because they they provoked. And you should know better than to provoke me when I'm angry. And an abuser will say that to their victim. You should know better than to provoke me. You know that I can't control it when I'm angry. You know how much pressure I'm under. You You know you can't expect me all these sorts of ways to say whatever happens when I'm angry is your fault, not my fault. Mm. That is abuse. Yeah. Is. Because even some, like if some, 
hey, there's people with post-traumatic stress, there's people that have a lot that they're dealing with, and they might blow it sometimes. But they're not going to come to you and say, what happened was your fault. Right. And if they do, that's abuse. And if they do, that's abuse. And it doesn't matter where the, like, like we want to be sensitive to people. We want to understand where they came from. But we got to call abuse what it is. For sure. Everybody has to make a decision of how they're going to react. Yeah. You can have a really bad childhood um, that was not healthy, but you're still responsible for your actions. Yeah. Um, you have an abusive background. Yeah. Like, were abused. Um, you could use that to be like, woe is me, and my kids should treat me really well because I was an abused victim. But that's not what you've chosen to do. Mm-hmm. So people do have an option. Yeah. Um, even of getting counseling. I mean, even like that's yeah. way more popular now. But our parents' generation also had counseling yeah. available and did not, most of them did not seem to make use of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're responsible for our own actions, yeah. even if it's triggered by something else. We're yeah. still responsible for it. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing is, um, like, things just over the top. You know, if there was somebody else in the room, would they think that it's abuse? Mm-hmm. Like, would they think it's abuse for a kid to get hit or a teenager to get hit by a paddle, a boat paddle? Would they think it's abuse for the son's favorite guitar to get smashed because he won't agree because he, as a young teen, doesn't agree with his dad? Yeah. If you don't agree with me, I'm going to smash this guitar that you saved up all year for. I will not agree. Smash. You know... Gets spanked at 16. Yeah. That to anybody outside would be shocking. It would be shocking. Shockingly abused. Yeah. So, and again, that's where my parents needed to instill in us, hey, we're Christians, we're different, the world is evil. Um, Because we knew if we told this to anybody else, they would call the police. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, I remember the first time you told me about a spank at 16. With a belt. With a belt for saying that you didn't love your mom. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I said I hated her. Hated but. her. But, like, you're 16. You're allowed to your opinion. I'm allowed to and hate plus her you're 16. 16. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Like, who knows what I was going through, and, and it I came heard, out. I heard this for the first time this past year. Yeah. And I was floored. I, I, was only, I only remembered it this past year. Yeah, because you buried a lot until this past yeah. year. <laughs> and there's a lot still Which buried. is domestic abuse yes. symptom. Because you can't live with all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes complex PTSD. Yeah. Um, you bury it yeah. to be able to survive. Yeah. Another really significant component of abuse is this, the feeling that you own the person. Like, we have children that are ours, but we don't feel as though they owe us for raising them. And we don't feel like we, like the most important thing about the relationship is our rights. The most important thing about the relationship is that we love them and want to give to them. Yeah. But an abuser feels like he owns the person and he has rights in the same way that like he owns his house and his car and his things that he's worked for. He owns his children. He owns his wife. 
and you can never you can never repay like a like a normal parent gives their time gives their energy but a narcissist or an abuser feels as though anything you give has strings attached and you can never pay me back for how much I've given to you that means you owe me yeah for life that's true <laughs> and that is that is an abusive mindset mm. And that's, again, very different from how a healthy parent would see things. I mean, a healthy parent might complain sometimes or joke or kind of tease their kids about how long the birth was or, you know, whatever silly things that we say. We probably shouldn't say things like that about how much pain you caused during birth. But, you know, uh, an unhealthy parent, like, holds that over them. Yeah. And says, you owe me. Yeah. Um, that's not okay. No. Um, how this has been just so much this past year processing and like so much stuff coming to the surface and um, and dealing with it yeah. and so many hours and hours and hours with counselors and it's just been intense mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what is the result like how how does your history of domestic abuse affect you now? Um, well, there's a lot of things. There's good and bad. Uh, like, I think one of the, one kind of good thing is that I can read people. Mm -hmm. um, there was a show that came out called Lie to Me. It came. It, it's not available on Netflix anymore, but it was about reading body language. And at some point during the show, it was like this crime-fighting team that could read people's body language and tell if they're lying. He mentioned, one of the characters mentioned that everybody on this team is a survivor of domestic abuse. Wow. It was a fictional show, but like there are specialists in, in body language. Yeah. And apparently almost all the specialists or maybe all the specialists are survivors of domestic abuse. Well, it makes sense. You're it so makes attuned. sense, <laughs> right? Because you're reading the body language all the time. For so, your safety. For your safety, yeah. So at times that has felt like a superpower because I can look at somebody and I can usually tell if they're lying or more often I can tell like the hidden message like if they tell me something with their mouth like I'm so excited to see you but their face flashes disgust I know they're lying mm -hmm. and that's just information that I'm like all right well <laughs> you're not excited to see me you know so so I just know that that's not necessarily a friend that I'm going to invest you know time to time in or whatever like Sometimes that can be useful. Where that becomes difficult is that there's a lot, there's a huge amount of resources in my brain that are allocated to reading other people's lives mm -hmm. and other people's emotions. Yeah, it's and exhausting. It's exhausting. And it's hard to stay focused sometimes. Like I remember one time we were out um, at a restaurant eating. Like we finally got out to a restaurant to eat. And I said, the waiter's really in a bad mood. And you said to me, are you going to let that ruin the whole evening? <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> Which was the thing to say to me because it's like, hey, I'm right in front of you. Don't focus on the waiter, you know. But it really was loud and clear to me that this guy is having a really hard day. And it bothered me because... You want to fix it. I want to fix it. You were trained to do that. I was trained to do that because if you don't fix it in time, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's a good and a bad thing. Um, I had, there's a term called uh, codependent or being a people pleaser. 
that I have this need to please people and to appease people and to keep the peace. And so that has been a big part of who I am. And it's why people probably would have described, would probably still describe me as a pretty nice guy. Um, but also why up till a couple of years ago, I, you know, at a certain point I said, like, who am I? Mm-hmm. Like I've been keeping everybody else happy, but who am I? What do I want? Yeah. And at Is a certain... that when you hit burnout? Yeah, really? It was after burnout. But yeah. I mean, that pressure definitely led me to burnout. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because huge. You know, I was just trying so to hard go, go, to... go, 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 yeah, yeah. To uphold all that stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, the inability to rest. That's a yeah. result of that complex PTSD. Like, you can't rest because you always need to be alert yeah. to what's going on. Uh, you can't enjoy life because you always have to be alert to what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... Co- so there's PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress, which was d- observed especially after the Vietnam War. Uh, a lot of psychologists were like, wow, these people are struggling with something. They're dealing with trauma from the battlefield, and it affects how they live the rest of their lives. And once they defined that and understood what post-traumatic stress was, they started noticing that actually children that grew up in dysfunctional homes, in abusive homes, had very similar symptoms. Mm. And... If anything, it was even worse, um, the effects that people had, because at least a soldier, he has safety that he came from, he has safety he's going back to, there is some sense of normal. But a child in an abusive situation basically grows up in a war zone, and there is no safe place. Yeah, that's why it's complex. And so it is complicated. It is like all the things that were supposed to be stable and safe and warm and supportive in your life were the opposite of that. Hmm. And so it is hard to, like, there's no solution, there's no easy solution. No. Lots of therapy, lots of healing. You don't have something to go back to. No. You don't have a normal to go back to. You have to figure out who you are um, completely from scratch as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. And um, another... Another term that's re- that I have learned during this journey is trauma bonding, mm. um, and I I can't I began learning about that through Stockholm syndrome. Now Stockholm syndrome and trauma bonding it's very similar. I'm not actually sure what the difference is if there is a difference between the two, but Stockholm syndrome is named after in World War II there was a prisoner of war camp where the prisoners were treated terribly. They were killed at random. They were starved. They were all these things that came out of the Nazi concentration camps. But when the, um, when the Allied forces came to liberate them, this, the prisoners actually fought against the Allies to defend the Nazis. And so this is, this is not, I'm not telling this right. Um, okay, let's talk about it. All right. Um, <laughs> lots of information. <laughs> I, I, I feel like that was part of the story, but actually, I realize I told that wrong because it's actually based off of Stockholm. I believe it was Germany. There was a bank robbery, is when they um, they developed the term, and then I think they realized that that applied to a certain camp. Um, uh, I think I had the order of that backwards, but there was a bank robber um, that held hostages, and they held hostages for several days, 
and threatened them, threatened to kill them. Uh, and then when the police came in, those prisoners actually fought to defend the captors. And they actually went to the point of some of those hostages, one of them at least married one of the captors, uh, and they raised money to try and, and pay the legal fees of their captors. They had this really strange attachment to these captors that they had been in captivity for three or four days with, and they had threatened to kill them. And what psychologists learned is that when you are in a traumatic experience like that, where you feel like your life is in danger, it draws up this deep resource within you to say, the person that is about to kill me is the most important person in the room. And the most important thing is making them happy. Mm. And so these deep resources come up and actually trigger love resources to say, I love this person so passionately. And that love can, at times, save your life. You can create this emotional bond with the person that actually brings down their defenses and, and you, they realize that you're actually committed to them. And if you're with a murderous person that might kill you, all of a sudden you're on their team and like it can save your life. The yeah. problem is, after the fact, those attachments can remain. Right. And they can be extremely strong with this group from Stockholm the Stockholm group, like it was a lifetime situation. Like one of them actually married um, the criminal that had captured her. And when I read that, I realized that is why, because I've had such strong feelings, positive feelings towards my parents. Like naturally I have, like there were good times. I'm not trying to say there weren't good times. But what was strange is they were really positive moments in the worst times, mm. which is strange. And when yeah. I understood Stockholm Syndrome, I understood it was a survival mechanism. Yeah. It was a little child trying to survive. Aww. And the other thing that happens is trauma bonding, where like somebody will do something terrible, lose their temper, yell, hit, whatever they do, and then they come back and they say, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And just pile on the emotions and pile on, it, there's a term called love bombing where you just shower that person with all sorts of affection and love and gifts and all the things. But there is no admission of guilt and there is no commitment to change. But that cycle of something bad and then so much love and something bad and so much love creates this attachment it's called a trauma bond mm. where it's like uh, an addict that has the highs and has the lows and they actually become addicted to the cycle right where they want that high and they almost start to crave like getting a little bit jittery like it's time to have another blow up you know wow. it's time for the next thing and and that's where you can get locked into this cycle and this is what some people need to understand like some people might say, like, why don't you just leave your abuser? Like, why does, she, why does she go back to him? And you need to understand how deeply um, abuse affects people. Yeah. And there are, there are deep resources that are being brought up to save this person, to get them through a dangerous situation. Um, but then there's consequences. Yeah. And, and it's hard to break free from, from the long-term effects of abuse and these effects can can be lifelong yeah. and it can be a lifelong journey to try and find freedom from some of these things yeah definitely need 
professional help. Yeah. yeah. And that's not, there's no shame in that. No. There's not at no all. shame in that. Why wouldn't you want to have a better life? Like, be able to enjoy life more by shedding some of the difficulties. Yeah. Like, that's what professional help can help you get. And yeah. meds. Meds yeah. can help your brain stop spinning so much. Yeah. To just be able to slow down and process better. And yeah. there's no shame in that. Mm -hmm. We were creative for a reason. Like, it's yeah. just like... Yeah. yeah. And, um, like, it is, in a sense... A life sentence but you can like it's it it will likely affect you the rest of your life but you can find tremendous healing and freedom yeah. from it and there's a term that I've learned recently I think I brought it up at least once maybe twice because I'm really excited about it is the term post-traumatic healing and it's that's the sense that after trauma you can heal not just back to normal but you can heal to the point where you have resources that you didn't have before. Yeah, where it's post, it's yeah. after. It's yeah. no longer revolved around the trauma. It's after the yes. trauma. And I sincerely, this might not, well, it probably does come through in the, how I'm doing this podcast. Like, I don't think about my abusers on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. I honestly don't. Yeah. And when I was processing some of this stuff, I was journaling and uh, like I was communicating with um, some other mentors and, and people that were helping me. And one, one of the person, some of the feedback was like, aren't you kind of obsessing about this? And I was, but once I had all my answer, my questions answered, I was able to put that to rest. Yeah. And I honestly, I don't think about them. Yeah. I think about the issues in the abstract. I am passionate about abuse. And when yeah. I see something that is not okay, I'm like, Fuck that. I'm going to post something on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of the post-traumatic post healing. Yes. That you don't have to think about them all the time and that you have raised awareness for yeah. abuse yeah. and want to speak out against it. Um, fits your personality. Yeah. And wanting to do something about it mm -hmm. um, and make a difference. Like, that's, that's the healing part. Yeah. And the part at the beginning that you were obsessed about yeah. it i mean i was a bit worried for a while there because mm -hmm. it was like constant day in day out nightmares yeah. at night uh processing non-stop in the day uh it was a lot it was yeah. very intense um i did have to remind myself that you're kind of goal oriented yeah like, and you tend <laughs> to put your mind on something and you go straight for that <laughs> mm -hmm. so you did like it would have been good if you could have paced yourself <laughs> Because it was very intense. How many times have you told me that in my life? Everyone. It was just really hard. Yeah. But also, you made tremendous leaps and bounds in your healing. And and part of, I think, the trauma from the domestic abuse was also, like, having to figure everything out yes. in your mind. And that continues to carry forward in this. Yeah. So in finding healing this past year, you had to try and figure everything out in your mind before you could take a break yeah <laughs> before you could take and and that's not everything but you had to figure out enough of it that mm -hmm. your mind was no longer a jumbled mess yeah so that you could rest yeah some. so there are i think as you recover from domestic abuse or or religious abuse any other abuse there is i think it's normal that there's like this hyper obsessed for a little yeah. while and 
just like you know grief there's stages yeah the stages of grief well there's stages to healing from abuse mm-hmm. um and we've got to respect those stages and it's they're not linear either they're no. cycles yeah. <laughs> they still come back now yeah but way less and less strong mm-hmm. and shorter periods so it gets better yeah um but you cannot bypass that no those those will look different for each person but you have to respect it and you have to go through it yeah and i do think there like it can be unhealthy and i think it it's unhealthy when you just try and stuff it yes and then but then in the back of your mind at some point you you have these questions these things that aren't right and it keeps you keep spinning yeah and i think like i did bite off too much probably like it did push too hard but I was taking medication to help me during this time and also I was seeing therapists and also I was reading books and it was a very specific directional I need to get this figured out and I need to get healing Um, so yeah and so I understand like the concern for like don't be obsessed but also like there is a time to focus on it yes and it does seem like obsession and it is deep. And for me, it's like I couldn't stop. Like my gut, it's like there was a fire in my gut. And I yeah. could not stop until I got to the point where all the parts of me agreed mm. that I could not have contact with them. Yes. And I was okay with that. Yeah. And I had to make... I had to be completely at peace with that because if I wasn't, then my boundaries would be tested and they crossed them yes. because they had power over me. Yeah. But my gut wasn't happy. It was like there was such a fire because because I had to protect my children. Yes. And that's really what this came down to yeah. is I did not feel comfortable with my children around them. Yeah. Um, and you are responsible yes. for your children. That is your responsibility above letting your parents have what they want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's your responsibility. Yeah. And so I had to get to the place where I'm not crazy. You know, like this is serious. These things are serious enough to break the relationship, even though that is an extreme step. Um, Now, as it turns out, they're the ones that, you know, I asked for space and they responded by disowning me, which works. That's fine. A ton more shit than that. Yeah. <laughs> that was the final little thing is That's know, the most recent one. Most like, recent, yeah. I mean the response of like I just need some space to figure things out. Yeah. Should not be legal threatening. And that's and literally all I said is I would like you to respect yes, my space. Like one sentence. Sen- one sentence, yeah. A three sentence because it was like your signature. <laughs> the greeting, you know. But like it's completely emotionally neutral. Yeah, it was super, and then like it comes back, responds to it with like legal threatening first sentence. Yeah. For grandparents' right, and then like spiritual abuse and manipulation and like it was it was insane. My rights, my rights, my rights. Yes, the whole thing. Yeah. My 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 my. I yeah. I I I I, and it it it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like that shows abuse just that because that's not normal reaction to that it's not like oh are you okay what's going on Mm -hmm. like do you need to talk about it like 
feel free to call me if you want or like like it yeah that like, it's, it's not normal no. if you put up a boundary and it's not respected or handled in a normal way that's a huge sign yeah that's a big sign that something is fucking wrong yeah and i just want to put out there i don't know who needs to hear this but i think at least somebody does you have a right to end any relationship that you don't want to be in yeah if you don't want to be if you just don't want to be in a relationship you're allowed to end it yeah you're allowed now if you're married to the person you're allowed to get divorced you're allowed to get divorced <laughs> now it might be more complicated right yes, like it is. there yeah. there's it's complicated but if you're not even married to them and you don't like them you're allowed to just not be friends yeah and you're allowed to say you know what i don't like you don't even come over anymore even if you're related to them even if you don't really have a good reason like yeah. you're allowed yeah and that's another aspect of of religion that is not helpful is i think that we communicate well i know that we've explicitly communicated that you need to be best friends with everybody and there are wicked people in the bible and there are verses about the wicked and there are righteous people in the bible that had conflict with the wicked and the righteous cut off relationships with wicked people over and over throughout the bible you don't hear about that you don't hear about that you don't read about that you know david put up with saul to a certain point and then he said i'm out of here even though David kept, or Saul kept doing this thing where he would apologize and be like, oh, my son, David, and, and doing this whole show in front of everybody, David at a certain point said, if I stay here, I will die. That's what he said. And so wow. he left. And there's a certain point where you need to say, if I stay here, I will die. Mm -hmm. And you need to follow David's example. And that can even be spiritual death. It can yes. be emotional yes. health. It can be mental health. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, it's not only physical death. Yeah. But that is a different, different, a definite aspect of yeah. domestic abuse too. Is like it can lead to physical death. Yes. But there's more de death ways than mm -hmm. that. Like, it's just yeah. yeah. And like then you might be thinking, well, what about the other person? And it's like, I don't like spending time with you. I don't want to spend time with you. Like the other person might say, oh, why don't you like spending time with me? Maybe I should start being, you know, changing my behavior. Mm -hmm. The Bible says he who has friends must show himself friendly. If you want to have <laughs> friends, be a nice fucking person. You don't start threatening them. With you don't tell them that you yeah. have rights and yeah. you have to be my friend. You have to associate with me. What kind of relationship would that be? That is I not mean, like, a friendship. That no. is ownership. Yes. That is slavery. Yeah, right? That is like... Pharaoh and the Israelites, that is, right, and that was an illustration that we had talked about earlier today. Um, yeah, because, you know, I had just asked for space, and then, you know, all hell broke loose and different things happened, and, and eventually, I mean, they disowned me, and whatever, like, it's over. It's similar to, you know, Pharaoh, what is, like, held up, is like, he is the despot of the Old Testament. He is the picture of a narcissistic evil ruler you know he he had slaves he was treating them terribly um he was making them work it was all about him and god there's this mystery that makes more sense all of a sudden because god originally told moses just ask to take like a weekend off in the desert that's all we're asking we just want to go in the desert for a few days and worship god and pharaoh wouldn't do it 
and he and all hell broke loose and there was this whole conflict and the ten plagues and all this stuff and finally pharaoh said well if you want to leave then just go and so they left in the middle of the night before he changed his mind (laughs) (laughs) and then he came marching after them to kill them and then god intervened and delivered them but that's what it's like with a narcissist that's what it's like with an abuser yeah is you just ask for the smallest bit of independence. And you're like, you know what? I just need this little thing. And that becomes a test. Do you respect me enough to let me have this little thing? Just, just a little bit of a vacation. Just Give a little bit a of... A little bit of space. A little bit of space. I'm, I'm working through shit because you were an asshole when you were supposed to be my parent. Yeah. Uh, I didn't say that. No. <laughs> I just not said I all. wanted some space. Your email is like, completely neutral. Yeah. Um... And there again, like, if you were a normal parent that had made mistakes and your child came back and said, could you just give me some space? Like, I would just be crippled with guilt. And I would be like, shoot, what did I mess up? And you can have all the space you need. And, like, if I could pay for counseling, you know, whatever you need, you know, like, I would, I just want the best for you. That's what a healthy parent would do. But an abusive person sees their victims as possessions. And does not honor their autonomy. And if they start to make autonomous decisions, that's seen as a threat to their sovereignty and their godness. Mm -hmm. And they will not tolerate that. And they will fight. It's a loss of control. It's a loss of control. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about emotional incest. Because Mm -hmm. I know that's not something that we hear about much. Mm -hmm. Um, Even I... Even though I've walked your journey with you, I'm not super familiar with it. But I think it's an important one to highlight yeah. because um, it happens. Yeah. So a child should never be made to feel that mommy is sad, give me a hug. That daddy is down from, he's sad from work, um, can you please cheer me up? Those are things that a child should not have laid on them. The child should never feel as though it is their responsibility to care for the emotional needs of their parent. The child should never feel like they need to parent their child, their, their, their parents. The parents should be parenting the child, not the other way around. But what happens in dysfunctional homes is, like I said with narcissists, I mean, the, sometimes people have the emotional maturity of a two-year-old and they have these deep wounds and we understand trauma happened to them too. We understand everybody's got a hard life. But when they turn that over to their child and they're looking to their child, even a small baby, instead of giving comfort to the child, they're trying to take comfort from the child. Yeah. And instead of getting down to play with the child when it's a toddler, they're saying, mommy needs a hug. And instead of apologizing when they have caused tremendous pain and hardship through yelling, they're saying, Daddy feels so bad. Can you just give me a hug? Turns the focus on them. And what that creates in the child, again, that kind of connects to Stockholm Syndrome and trauma bonding and all this weirdness. The child feels as though, like it, it wakes up things in the child that should only be woken up when they're ready to have a relationship with their own spouse. Because it wakes up this companionship feeling in their hearts towards their parents. Where they start to feel emotionally, romantically connected to their parents. And that's why it's called emotional incest. Because it's not incest in the sense of touching a child physically. 
but it can have just as profound of an effect. Oh, for yeah. You can attest. I can attest. Because we're married for 15 years, but as I started to disconnect these things, all of a sudden you realize there were parts of me that you didn't have access to my heart. You didn't have access to me because they were still tied to my mom and her emotional needs, or they were still tied to my dad and his emotional needs. Yeah. Mostly my mom. And you were still meeting them. And I was still meeting them. Six years old, like you were still meeting those needs by phone and email yeah. and all those things. And and my life choices. And your life. A choices. lot of my life choices were based on their needs and their need to shine in their religious community and to have mm-hmm. a missionary kid and and all those things. Yeah. And my number one fear when we first. We're at counseling together and I was, I initiated that I think I have a problem with my parents and I don't know what to do with it and I feel like maybe I should pull back or cut contact or what. My number one fear was, I think my mom is going to get sick if I do this. That if I pull back from her and then the counselor said, will she really get sick or will she pretend to? Um, no, I pulled back and she got sick. <laughs> that's not I don't know I mean that that's not for me to know what happened exactly but um, there was a very close like we're married if I pull back from you you're gonna get sick right because you need me and the same like I need you like if you pull back from me emotionally I'll be a mess yeah but parents should be able to stand on their own two feet yeah and when you're in this situation where as a child you feel like if I pull away from them, I'm not sure they're going to be okay. That's called emotional incest. And that, that is a, it's a tremendous amount of control yeah. on the child. But also it ties up their resources where then they can't have normal relationships with other people because their resources are still tied up in their parents. Yeah. And they were. like That's one of the things that was so frustrating in years of our marriage was just all the time, especially towards the end, yeah. before going no contact, was all the time spent preparing for phone calls, preparing yeah. for emails, talking to them, decompressing after um, having to overthink it and process it and mm-hmm. go over it and over it and over it. Like it, it stole so much time because of that emotional incest, yeah. because of that tie, yeah. that spiritual tie that should not have been there yeah it's okay to have a connection with parent child yeah of course but not in this way where like your mom is really really hurt about what you said and so you have to make it right Mm. like it it, it's not it's not okay yeah but as a child to be told like like oh things are a struggle with with my husband right and and like and then you're a child and you have to meet those needs of your mom's like that's yeah. not okay. Yeah. Yeah, cuz I was a sensitive. I was like I mentioned when I was a teenager, like I would do quote unquote counseling with my friends and and people kind of sometimes sought me out as a spiritual guide because I was able to listen very empathetically mm-hmm. and sometimes give, you know, insights. But mostly the listening. I was a very sensitive kid that I cared, you know. But my mom did abuse that. Yeah. At a young age, a young child should not be told, your father and I are having 
such and such marriage problems and it makes me feel this way and and like you know seven years old something like that six or seven yeah Yeah, it was young and i mean there's this thing called mommy dates and daddy dates and like you can do that but like that's like we do that with our kids as a way to be able to give them one-on-one attention right not as a way for them to meet our needs and and for a way like what's what are you excited about? Yeah. You know, tell me about Minecraft and I'm going to try hard not to fall asleep for the next <laughs> half hour, right? Like, that's what a mommy date should be, Roblox. you know? Or like, yeah, they're into Roblox now. I don't even know what that is. Um, I kind of know. Anyways. You know, like, like my daughter came to me a year and a half ago and said, my baby doll, or my doll has a birthday. Can we go out for lunch? And so I took her out for lunch and we sat her doll up and, and I bought a Timbit for her and for the doll. <laughs> so she got a, a second one, you know. And, and But it was all about her, yeah. right? Like the, there was not me sitting there being like, you know, like your mom and I sometimes don't get along. And like, isn't that sad that dad, I'm so sad, you know. Like, fuck that. Like that's not, not right. that's not right. No. It's so weird. It's very it's so weird. weird. Um, that's a mild example. That's a mild <laughs> example. Of yeah. what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. And like those are some of the things that just, I don't know how else to say it. Like it fucks people up. Yeah. It just really Big fucks time. with their mind. And their future marriage. And their future marriage. And like I'm frustrated at some of the things that that you brought into the marriage as far as how you were raised with yeah. ATI and Bill Gothard and all that yeah. shit. And I think this has been pretty frustrating for you. Extremely. That I came in with like emotional incest that you know i got this weird connection to my to my mom very weird until this past year until this past year but it was like huge tangle of web yeah to to cut string by string yeah and that's where there was weird spiritual stuff yeah, like I happening. consider myself an agnostic basically because of that time. Like, yeah. there was a lot of agnostic stuff. as opposed to atheist. Yeah, it was just like there was so much weird spiritual stuff that yeah. went on at that time. That was like, there's no way that it can't be a spiritual world because there was a connection there, yeah. for sure that was established between you and your mom that was not right. Yeah, not healthy. Um, you can have a be closer to one parent and have mm-hmm. a special relationship and that's fine but this was like way beyond that yeah yeah like one of the things can i share one thing sure um there were several things that were yeah creepy very but one of the things is that i had this recurring nightmare of meeting my mom in a certain place and having a certain conversation uh with my kids and this was during this time when i was pulling back and when I finally got up the courage and wrote the email, I want space. She shot back with this email. And somewhere in this email, she said, what would you do if we met at this certain place? Would you just say such and such? And it was like, I've been having this dream all yeah. this time. And then she woke up at three in the morning and she rambled off this email and my dream was in it. Yeah. And this happened. And she had the place and she had the thing that I said. Yeah. And yeah, and there was another dream as well. So it's like, explain that to me. Yeah. Like, that was a connection that was wrong. 
We're like, too connected. There's something that... They're not married to each other. I know. Like, it's just... Ugh, like, you hear about twins, like, twins that are on other sides of the planet, and, like, something happens to one, the other person, like, knows it somehow, like, or, or a couple, like, oh, I just knew something bad happened to Bob at work, you know, like, like, there is a spirit world, and people can be really connected. But, like, at 37, you shouldn't be that connected to your mom. No, especially when you have five kids. You got five kids and a wife that you're happily married with. And and I didn't invite this stuff. No. This was stuff. This this was done to me. It was. I don't know if you can tell, but could be emotional because it was not right. No, it wasn't. Like, none of this was right. But that was almost one that that hurt the most because it was so hard to disconnect. It was. And. And affected your teen development. It did. Um, There's a lot of reasons that we went no contact with yeah. your parents. A lot of reasons, way more than we can talk about publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has absolutely a hundred percent been the right decision. Yes, it has brought a freedom that we never could get while trying to maintain minimal contact. Boundaries were never, ever respected. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we tried everything. We tried, we tried everything, everything over the last decade. And other people have tried. Yes. Um, but like, yeah, other people have tried with them as well. But like for ourselves, we have tried, we've gone over and above. We've been way too forgiving, really. Mm-hmm. We've waited way too long for this. Now we have gone to contact and it has been the best decision ever. Yeah. I wish we could go even a step further than no contact, but there's not really a way to do that. <laughs> <laughs> because it... Do you want to talk about what no contact has Sure. For, uh, well, you know what? You keep going because it's... It touches you. Well, definitely. It's brought a chance to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, having, you know, sometimes you can... Being able to just step away from abusive situation that lets you be able to think clearer yeah. because you don't have the constant attack on your mind. Yes. So you can have time to process and think yeah. about what's really happened. So going And abusers to... attack your mind. Yes, they, they really, really do. Things called gaslighting and yeah. victim shaming, they attack your mind. They atta- and so many techniques. I thought I was going crazy. Yeah. As a teenager, I literally thought I was going insane. I was convinced at yeah. a certain point. Oh. It had nothing to do with me. No, it didn't. So it's brought a chance to heal for us this year, a chance to start over. We can figure out our own interests. We can figure out what we want to do in all these other things that were previously too controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also, since going no contact, that's when it's given a chance to stop, well, to heal from the past, but then also to leave the past behind and yeah. move forward. Um, not having to think about them all the time. Yeah. Not having to always think about, oh, we have this email to answer. Oh, we got this text that was manipulative. Oh, we got like, oh, we got these gifts that are things we did not want. Um, oh, we got these letters for our kids saying like, don't tell your mom this. Mm-hmm. Um, over and over and over and over. Um, so like cutting contact has allowed us to be able to move forward yeah. and to enjoy life. It's given us some time back. It's giving us, it's given me, you. Yes. Because you were so preoccupied with the this, the need to appease them just got worse and worse yeah. and worse with time. 
-hmm. It was never enough, never enough. And it just escalated the year before going no contact to where it just felt like one con one phone call would take two weeks of her time. Yeah. Because I felt like I needed to appease them and also that I needed to parent them. Yeah. And I also needed to please them and all those things. Yeah. But then I also felt like I needed to keep boundaries for ourselves. And so I had to try and juggle all those things. Yeah. And it was just... You just break apart. Yeah. It, um... It... There is a time and a place to go no contact. And I think, like, there's a certain point where you just have no hope for reconciliation. Yeah. Um, We've tried all the boundaries. We've tried honest, open, like communication yeah we've tried all those things and it never worked no it never worked sometimes they would put on a little front for a month or two or whatever and then it was gone mm-hmm. like it, it it just there was no trust there couldn't be any trust because it was broken so often and there were never any any apologies in the sense of taking ownership of what they did never there was apology. love bombing in the sense of I love you so much and, and I want this relationship back. But there was never a, an admission that what I did was wrong and I'm going to take steps to make sure I don't do no, it again. never, ever, ever, ever. And there was some very unacceptable behavior. Oh, yes. Not just in my childhood, but continuing on into yeah. adulthood. And then, But then when, it, when it's over, it was supposed to be over and you just don't talk about it because that was the family rule. But I'm not, I'm not okay with that. And you also never knew when they would crack something back up because Mm -hmm. they never forget. No, they never, no. I know for myself, as your wife, like, they're my in-laws. But I wrote them off a long time ago because their behavior and action towards me and you, really, and others, Mm -hmm. were not okay. I couldn't go into contact with them because you weren't ready. You still had so much baggage and connection and ties with Mm -hmm. them. But... It's just been amazing to be on the same page. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I appreciate so much you going as long as you did, playing the game and letting me play the game. Because um, it wasn't... You can't force someone to heal. Yeah. It's true. And I, I needed... It happened when, I, when it could happen. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was just not ready before. Yeah. And can't say you didn't try everything either. <laughs> we really tried everything. We did. We really did. At this point, I think I speak for both of us, that's like, we're not against reconciliation in the future if there was true, true repentance. Yeah. And it would take a lifetime to rebuild the trust. Mm-hmm. Um, we've not shut off our heart, but we have put them out of our minds. Yeah. Because we cannot have a healthy life and we pursue health mm-hmm. we pursue we seek health that's a podcast we seek health and we could not be healthy with them in our life yeah and i just want to say that the terms of a reconciliation are set by the survivor and not yes. by the abuser absolutely or the church or the, or by the church the church needs to stay the fuck out of this if they don't if they don't represent victims, they just need to stay out of it because often they represent the abuser. Yeah. And we have had pressure from people that don't know what they're talking about that have have tried to say or imply like, hey, like it's been a long time or like I heard something or 
you know, yeah. when are you going to call your parents? And it's like, you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Just stay, stay out, out of it. Um, but look. And then you're surprised when abusers leave church. When well, abused victims leave church. I mean. Yeah. Um, but it's totally fine that that abusers stay and are behind the pulpit every Sunday. That's totally fine. Um, what was I going to say before I got Sorry. mad? <laughs> You're allowed to be mad. This I am allowed to be mad. Yeah, oh, right. The, the victims slash survivors have the right to dictate the terms of the reconciliation. Yeah. And like, as somebody who is a survivor and is, you know, I can say honestly, like, I struggle some days, you know, yeah. and the pain, like, like it's all fine and well for my dad to say, well, I kind of lost it. Why do you have to be so sensitive? And he goes on with his life, you know, but guess what? That little child, that wound he caused and the fact that he didn't own it and say, I'm really sorry. That wasn't your fault. Like a normal human being would. Mm-hmm. That caused a lot of damage. And I'm still dealing with that. Yeah. And when I have a totally reasonable conversation with a good person that gets it, but it mentioned my trauma, I'm out. Three yeah. hour nap. You know? Yeah. That's my reality. Yes. So if he's going to get to the place of understanding that level of trauma and then saying, I don't know how you could ever begin to have a relationship with me but I want to try to win your trust back and I want to do all the work I can you know it's later in life um, he would probably say something like you can't teach an old dog new tricks but I'm going to try you know if I could see that he was trying but I don't see that it'll never come all the movement we have seen has been in one direction and that has been to a further hardening of the heart to use yeah. a biblical term um, and more emphasis on their rights. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it doesn't... I'm not losing sleep over them being sad. No. I've this lost one, enough sleep over their emotional state. And we've got no contact, and now they're in God's hands. It's they're in God's hands. God or Satan to deal with them. <laughs> Sorry. And And I honestly, like, even in saying this, like... I don't feel angry towards, like, I don't feel vindictive towards them. Like, I'm mad and I am, like, I I feel a warrior. I feel a warrior in the sense of, like, I need to speak for that little boy. But I don't feel, there is such a thing as a vindictive spirit in a sense of, like, I want to make them pay. I don't feel that. No. I I can tell. I don't care what they do with their lives. I just want them to do it far away from me. Yeah. Like, and that to me, like, to use biblical terminology, like, I've forgiven them. I've made my peace with what they did. Yeah. Um, they're not willing to respect my boundaries. They're not willing to to integrate, interface with life as I live it. Yeah. And so they're not welcome exactly. in the present. Yeah. If at some point right. they changed, perhaps. I don't see them changing. Reconsider it then. <laughs> but... This is not unforgiveness. No. I have forgiven them. Yeah. I just don't see the... I don't see how a relationship would be conducive, would be helpful for either of us at this it point. It hasn't. 
it hasn't helped at all. It's been detrimental. So that's why we're no contact. Yeah. And we're allowed to we're go allowed. no contact. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And I think more people need to go no contact with yeah. people. <laughs> like, yeah. honestly, we don't need to be best friends with everybody. Yeah. Um, there's some marriages that need to end. Yeah. Yeah. Along the same Even lines. if it hurts our marriage stati- statistics. Oh, yeah. Who that's cares okay. That? You care about the people, not the statistics. And your children will do better. Like, your your children are better off in a home with a single parent if they're away from the abuser. Yeah. Like, if I could have been spared, I mean, both my parents were abusive in their own way, but if I could have been spared from some of that abuse, it would have changed my life. Yeah. And I wouldn't be sitting here at, at this at 36 talking about this right now mm-hmm. and so much of my life being dictated by it. And so we need to care less. I mean, we need to be prepared as Christians to say some, we are pro-family and pro-marriage, but sometimes families need to, people need to be safe. Yeah, people, I'm avoiding the word broken family because that is a loaded term. It's already broken. It's already broken. It's broken by the abuser. And a marriage is a covenant that's supposed to be a two-way covenant where both of them commit to a certain level of love and compassion and care. And when... It's an abuser that's abusing you. He has broken his marriage vows. He didn't stand up at the altar and say, all right, you serve me sexually, you serve me emotionally, you serve me financially, and I won't do anything. And I will harm you emotionally, physically, sexually. Um, That's not what he said. Someone who leaves an abusive marriage is not the cause of the broken home. No. We believe you. They are the one who's strong to walk away yeah. and say enough get your shit together get your shit Not together okay. or i'm gone or sometimes you just, just know leave. instinctively yeah or just leave out. just leave and it's like if you change we'll reconsider yeah. but i'm done yeah unless there's change and trust rebuilt and that isn't that is months or years yeah to do that then you're gone yeah like that's just that's just how it is mm-hmm and until I start hearing this message from the church, I'm not going to shut the fuck up. Because we continue to push women back to abusive men. Yes. And we continue to encourage young fathers to spank their children. And we continue to hold up the ideal of two parents with perfect little kids. And we don't know what to do with single parents. And shame divorcees. And all these things that are not okay. And uphold families that whose kids can sit perfectly in church without movement and say that that should be the ideal. But what happens behind closed doors? How are you doing to that? Make that happen because kids are human beings and kids are kids. Like, yeah. It's just, oh, anyway. Mm-hmm. Abusive, domestic abuse, religious abuse, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse. It's abuse. Yeah. And, we are here doing a podcast of Seeking Health, and we're speaking out that abuse must end. We need yeah. to bring awareness to abuse. And stand up for yourself. Yeah. Stand up for others. Believe others. Mm-hmm. If they say they're abused, and help them out. Like, this is, it's enough. Mm-hmm. It's enough. This is a social justice cause that we stand for, and yeah. means a lot to us. Um, believe in yourself and in your worth. 
and stand up for yourself. Yeah. Enough is enough. And believe. Believe people if they tell you they've been abused. I mean, yeah. if some... Like, don't you know people? Like, when somebody is a compassionate and a sensitive and somebody that's always tried to do everything right, if they come to you and say, I've been abused, believe them. Yeah. Like, if somebody is clearly, like, a narcissistic person that's always been selfish and they say they've been abused maybe you want to be a bit skeptical but like if you know somebody yeah just because the parents or whoever that they're claiming abused them looks perfect that does not mean they are well, like all they're perfect abusers have great friends yeah all abusers put up a front that's why we're so surprised when in the media there's like another person that came down with yeah abuse, another person another person that was in public eye mm-hmm Thank you for sharing about domestic abuse today. I know it's going to be costly, but I really appreciate it. I think it's, we both believe that it's message and needs to go out. And I yeah. hope that this will help some people feel encouraged or challenged or yeah. make a difference. And is there something else that you wanted to share before we close up? Um, you know, I think I'm just going to look over my notes real quick. I think that's it. Yeah. Wow. There's lots of resources out there. Women's yeah. shelters are not just places to go to leave, but they're also places for counseling. They're places to help you even know what to look for. They're Contact them. There's yeah. lots of great resources there. I think even men might be able to contact some resources. Maybe not Who? to go there. Men. Men? Because men yeah. are also abused. Yeah. Um, just... So, yeah, some great things to do for research. If you're a Christian, the book, A Christian's Guide to No Contact, really lays out. It was very helpful for us. It was very helpful for us, just cutting through some of this unhelpful doctrines uh, about reconciliation. Also, she's got a book, um, Forgiveness, Not Necessarily What You Think. This is by Sister Renee Patelli, is her pen name. Um, The best book I've read this year on these issues is Unholy Charade by Jeff Crippen. Jeff Crippen is a pastor. He has about a 20-sermon series on domestic abuse, which you can find just from a simple Google search. And and his book is just absolutely lays it out uh, from a fully theologically uh, uh, balanced perspective. Uh, I would love, if you're a pastor... I would love to buy you that book. Um, And uh, if you just research key terms like narcissism, it will unlock a lot because abusers are narcissists. Not all narcissists are abusers, but all abusers are narcissists as far as I know, as far as I'm, I'm pretty sure that's true. A lot of abusers are either sociopaths or psychopaths. So you can research that. There's a book called Psychopath No More or Psychopath Free get the term google search it you'll find it but there's great community groups on facebook as well uh survivors of narcissists survivors of nar- of uh, psychopaths um let's try some out until just you find one that fits those you. are great yeah. places to start looking because and you know whatever your your specific situation is if you're a divorced woman or whatever right d- divorced narcissist whatever there's there's groups for you there's resources for you if you start looking for some of those key terms and it can really just open up your eyes to seeing a different perspective on things 
And uh, we want to keep talking about these topics, so subscribe to our podcast if you want more content on um, seeking a healthy life. Um, That's what we want to be about. And we don't want to hold back. And we don't want to, you know, try not to step on people's toes. Um, We just want to speak the truth so that um, more people can lead a healthy life. So... Thanks for listening. Have a good night, everyone. Goodbye.